Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Forbes described him as one of the most gifted wordsmiths working in music today. But even when PJ Harding was a child, he was a performer. Uh, his religious parents would go to churches making music and PJ was one of their best singers. If you're into electronic music, you might have uh, heard him under his old DJ name, Thief. These days, he's a very much sought-after musician, songwriter and producer. He's worked with the likes of rappers and Noah Cyrus, to name a few, and he joins me in the studio. G'day, PJ. G'day. Uh, you and I could set up a support group for people that were made to do piano as a child and hated it. <laughs> what was it for you? Was it um, the scales like it was for me? Uh, yeah, I don't, it was possibly just the pressure of that situation. I don't know. My youngest has actually just started piano lessons and he is completely obsessed. And, and you know, I've seen him take to it with massive passion that I could never summon in myself. But I think for me it was mostly I really wanted to play the drums at that age. And so the piano, my parents were like, learn some piano and then you can go and do the drums. But for me it was just like getting in the way of the thing that I actually wanted to be doing. I would have thought given that your um, parents, your uh, grandparents being jazz musicians, that the drums would have been an accepted uh, pursuit. It was, I think, I you know, and I, I, my grandfather was a was a professional jazz drummer, and I I got his drum kit um, after he passed away, um, and they were very supportive of that. But I think they've always had a kind of big picture view of like you want to give a well rounded uh, introduction to what music is, and you know, you eat your vegetables first, and then you can then you can have the fun stuff. And then obviously you drifted to the synthesizers and songwriting. Did you, so do you maintain, clearly because of your uh, child now learning the piano, that you maintain that the piano is a good foundation for those latter things like the synthesizer and for songwriting? Yeah, it's a strange thing. I feel like foundationally you can kind of come at it from a lot of ways. I'm always shocked how many people I meet, songwriters and producers specifically who started on the drums um, because I think there is something, uh, it's, it feels a little odd, but there is something about that instrument that involves a lot of listening, at least really good drummers, and an awareness of, of how the pieces of the different parts of a piece of music kind of fit together. Um, I think, yeah, understanding, I mean, for me, melody has always been a, like a deeply intuitive sort of thing. Um, and so I think I probably... Uh, would have got there whatever route. I, I started writing songs on the guitar. It wasn't even a, a piano thing really, but it's when you've got the will, you know, you just you just work out whatever you can do to make songs come out. A couple of years ago you went to a songwriting camp in Bali. I, I want to ask you why that's not called a band camp. But um, you met someone called Noah Cyrus. This is uh, obviously the same family and lineage as uh, Billy Ray and Miley. What goes on at a songwriting camp and how did you first meet Noah? Uh, well, songwriting camps are a, are a part of the songwriting world that most people probably wouldn't know about, but part of the pop songwriting world in particular. Often they'll take a bunch of songwriters and a bunch of uh, music producers and 
often some artists as well and they'll take them, put them somewhere, ideally somewhere really nice, <laughs> like Bali. It helps. <laughs> yeah. And they'll, you know, they'll create songs for, for a week, 10 days. Every, every day you'll go in with a different little group of people, maybe a producer, a songwriter and an artist, and uh, you'll try and write a song in, in a day. And so it's a really quick way of like developing. So sometimes individual artists will have camps run for them. You know, you go to a Beyonce camp or something really? and they're just writing songs I did songs not know this. And, and yeah. the point is to have output at the end of the day. So, you, you know, you kind of start each day with fresh ideas or with a fresh collaborative group. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in the in the case of like a camp for a particular artist, often the artist is there and they can, you know, they can be walking around and, and they can sort of have their input. But it's a way of generating a bunch of material to, to be used specifically for a project. The sort of camps I've been doing kind of double as great networking opportunities too. It's bringing different creative people together and you never know where Sparks are going to fly um, in that sort of thing. So. Sparks indeed. The song that you produced together um, with um, at Noah Cyrus was gone platinum multiple times, not just in Australia but also in the US and Canada. Were you surprised by that or yeah. is that the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was very surprised. Um, you know, it was one of those things. I'd met Noah at the same camp actually a year before in 2018 um, but we hadn't worked together. We just hadn't been put in the room together but... I had played guitar on a song and I knew from the song that we would have done something really good together. And so I was really glad the following year when they did put us in the room on that first day and we wrote uh, uh, July and it felt like a really um, beautiful song, you know, off the bat. But you never know how things... I've, I've definitely thought something was going to connect with people that hasn't and, I, and I've been in the position of like thinking something was too strange or obscure for people and then, and then you know, to have it picked up like that. Is, it's not an uncommon thing. So I'm not surprised that I was surprised by it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it was, it was a shock that that song did what it did. If you've just joined me, musician, songwriter and producer PJ Harding is in the studio with me. You're about to hear uh, a small performance in the uh, Studio 240 next to us. Of course, uh, Noah Cyrus is not your only collaborator. You've worked with Little Nas X. You've worked with the Australian singer, very talented young person, Ruel. You play with different styles, don't you? Like you don't really stick to your lane. Is, is that how you think about it or is it think you just kind of go with the instinct? I think uh, a good song is is kind of a good song ac across the board. I do, as I've gotten older and, and as I've sort of been lucky enough to, to be privileged enough to say no to things, I do tend now to stick more towards the sorts of songs that I really like making, which is, which is kind of storytelling and, um, you know, I, I suppose something more connected to the you know 200 years of songwriting that that we're at at this point rather than trying to find you know hip new things um but yes i feel like genre uh doesn't really there's not a huge amount of ground between you know what they're doing in a metal song and what they're doing in a pop song if they're if they're 3 minute songs that have got choruses and verses uh, then you could probably just s flip the genres and... Are you saying that How to Make Gravy by Paul Kelly could be a heavy metal song? Because I can see that actually working. Yeah, no, it absolutely <laughs> could be. Um, 
And you know, Paul is is uh, he's a real idol of mine. He's uh, he's exactly one of those songwriters. I think that engages in that sort of storytelling I'm talking about. I think it is. I think maybe like the more specific the songwriting, sometimes it's hard to to pull the, the genre out of it, especially with like storytelling of of that sort when it's like really you you just want to hear the person almost speak the the song to you you know so mm. getting as much of the other stuff out of the way is is great he calls that the feelies by the way have you ever heard him say this <laughs> i don't know if I when, when he sort of stops in the middle of the song and says well they put the body between two rocks and went on fishing for the next five days <laughs> before they reported it to the police on monday he calls that the feelies when he speaks in a song yeah i find that so disarming when he does that yeah i mean yeah no uh, it, it is interesting that that kind of spoken and some of my favorite songwriters Bruce Coburn, a Canadian songwriter who I love, you know, who does full spoken word songs. It's not something I think I could ever muster the courage to do. Um, but, yeah, I do love that kind of storytelling. And, and look, at it, and it is hard sometimes to do a metal song out of, out of material like that. So you're one of these people that was granted amazing skills, but uh, you didn't come equipped with the performance aspect of what you do. I try not to play in public that often. <laughs> Why not? Uh, I don't, it's not like my favourite thing to do, I have to say. It's like I uh, I love to create music um, but there's so much involved in, in going out into the world and performing it for people uh, that I'm not such a fan of, like, like packing up gear and getting into a car and dealing with, you know, difficult social situations. So Sort of dilutes the, the, the fun. If your fun is making the music, then having to get in a car and perform it to some people kind of dilutes that fun, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just too... I like, I, I love sharing the songs with people and the, the, the kind of being able to deliver a performance. That's what I love about recording music is being able to deliver like a really special performance. But just everything around it, gives me anxiety so I <laughs> if I can avoid it which I've found myself in a position where where I don't need to do too much of that um, then you know I'll, I'll take that please pretty lucky in this day and age to be able to uh, pick and choose like that I mean with the pressure yeah. on touring artists you know yeah no absolutely but I'm very happy to be in the situation of like writing songs that other people can then take and take to gigs you like being the perform. puppet master in the background or something yeah i mean yeah i mean i'm sometimes i like that sometimes i like having as little to do with the project outside of like the writing of the, of the songs as as uh as i can like the that's a, that's a lot less pressure but sometimes i really like getting involved with with an artist and what they're trying to do and i can kind of live a bit vicariously through their project <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's mostly just regular stock social anxiety. I think that stops me from being a, being out there on the road and it's hard. It's really hard. Good on you for saying what it is. I mean, a lot of people, (laughs) particularly in the performance space, whether it be in media or, you know, entertainment, uh, have worked so hard to overcome some of these anxieties that they are now extroverts. Have you found this? Yeah. I mean, I do think. It's not an uncommon story amongst, like, I think of my artist friends. Some of them are, are deeply extroverted people who, who are, were sort of born to be in front of an audience. Um, but a lot of them, um, and some of them with, with the biggest audiences too, are, are, are 
a lot like me and, and aren't super comfortable. And there is, I think it is different too. My experience of playing live was always, it was always a slog, you know, it was always, you do all this work and you go and, and, and you play a little pub somewhere and four people have showed up and, and it's r really heartbreaking that way. And so it, it does change the, the whole equation a little bit when, when you're selling out places and people are super keen to come and see you. Um, but I do think it, a lot of those artists, there's still a cost, you know, to, to getting out there and doing it, uh, like a, an emotional uh, cost to it. We will hear uh, a small performance from you. You're about to pop into Studio 240. Uh, we're going to hear It Wasn't Enough from your EP. Just tell me about this song, how you came to write it. Uh, I was living in LA, actually. We'd moved just prior to the pandemic and um, and then the pandemic happened. And uh, so we were in a really chaotic uh, scenario. You know, I had my family over there and we were deciding whether to stay or whether to come back. And... Uh, yeah, I wrote a bunch of songs during that time and this one w was just a really, uh, I don't know, a really special, some, very occasionally when you write songs, songs just appear, you know, and I struggle to, to know where or why they came to me. But uh, but if you knew, it wouldn't be a mystery. <laughs> so exactly. I think the, know. the mystery is, is good, but it's a, it's, yeah, it's one of my favourite songs that I've ever written and I was very uh, happy that when I did come to put out a project again after a long time that uh, this was the first song that I put out. Looking forward to it. You're about to hear It Wasn't Enough. Uh, musician, songwriter and producer PJ Harding. Great to see you. Thanks for coming by. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I took all the drugs and I drank all the wine Emptied every cellar from the beginning of time And at all of the parties that ever were held Yeah, I danced from the first song to the end of the world And it was enough, it was enough Enough, and I don't know 
out a quiet life next to the sea and put food on the table for my family and I lay in bed holding my wife in my arms while the voices of children were filling my heart and it wasn't enough it wasn't listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. 